Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for information purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Chris Demuth, a portfolio manager at Rangeley Capital, and with me, as always, is my co-host and the f- and <laughs> <laughs> not the founder, but a portfolio manager of Rangeley Capital, Andrew Walker. It's Tuesday. It is Tuesday, March eighth, and today we're going to talk a bit about a, uh, a merger arbitrage opportunity, uh, Pfizer Allergan. Herbalife. We've been debating whether we pronounce the H or not. I'm anti-pronouncing the H. And then end with some updated thoughts on the Vivin Terraform Sun Edison mess. So, Andrew, uh, why don't you start? What's going on with Herbalife? Well, Chris, I am going to call it Herbalife because I have decided that's how it's pronounced. But uh, this has been a controversial name uh, for the past three years. Uh, Bill Ackman, who I think we're going to do a podcast on on Thursday, he has waged a three-year-long short campaign against them. He thinks they're a Ponzi scheme. They're set to collapse. And late last week, the company came out and said, hey, we've misreported. We have this uh, metric called active new members. And they said, hey, we've been misreporting it. Uh, For example, in Q4, they said uh, active new members, I believe worldwide, they said, were up 16.7%. And then they restated down to 3.2%. So this was a bit, this was a big restatement in some places. Uh, they blamed it on a database scripting error. And they said, well, don't worry. We, we overstated it 14 times, but we understated it 12 times. So it was basically a wash. But uh, it was overstated by about 20% in those 14 times. And then it was understated by about 3% in those 12 times. I'm sorry, so, just, just to clarify, can you net out misstatements? <laughs> you, you cannot. But uh, obviously, anytime you see a big misstatement like this, it's, it's super concerning. But it's been really interesting because both bulls and bears are pointing to this and screaming something completely different, as they tend to in kind of battleground-type stocks like Herbalife. Bulls are saying, who cares? Uh, this is a non-GAAP metric. It doesn't impact, you know, a lot of people like to look at the actual cash flows coming in. It doesn't impact cash flows. It doesn't impact revenues. It's not a financial metric. It's just an additional metric that this company has been providing. So it doesn't really change the cash flows of the business or the long-term viability. And bears are looking at this and saying, look, this is evidence the company has poor accounting systems. Uh, the company has been trying to kind of juice their – it could be evidence they're trying to juice their numbers. A lot of different things. Uh, and the stock initially traded down – 10% on this kind of scary headline, Herbalife uh, misstates new active members, but it ended the trading day down only a couple of percent, and now it's kind of just flat since the, the announcement. So it, it's been really interesting to watch and follow, and I think we've dove into it, and our takeaways have been it's kind of – we're in the middle. It's The bulls are right when they say it's a cheap stock that has shown some traditional growth and great cash flows. And the bears have been right where they say there are a lot of social issues here and it doesn't help that there are uh, kind of the mess of financial statements. Or not mess, but there are messes like this. So what do you think? I know you've watched all the videos and you have some thoughts on the selling process and everything. We're not long or short. Um, it's not an expensive stock as an equity analyst. I don't know that we. I have anything to do with it. 
watching the videos and trying to understand the business model, it does seem manipulative and is something that I'm troubled by. Troubled by in a way that I don't feel it's my day job to comment on. Uh, Bill Ackman kind of threw himself in with a lot of the same uh, impressions, but it's manipulative, it's unhealthy, it's strange. You know, another one we've been looking at is the timeshare industry this week as well, which (laughs) we'll probably talk about that in a podcast a month in the future or something, but it's interesting. Both are manipulative, but there is also a reason for them. Like in Herbalife's case, you can point to a lot of people who've actually lost weight and gotten healthier from the community system. So... It's just very tough, and you can correct if you feel differently, but in general, on these battleground-type stocks where there are some people who think they're the greatest thing ever, they're growing up 10x, and there are some people who think they're complete frauds, Ponzi's bankruptcy, it's better just to put in the two hard pile and stay away. I'm very comfortable with the two hard pile. I am tortured by this kind of thing because I hate manipulation and I hate snobbery. And this one kind of is in somewhere in the middle, right? I, it's manipulative, but a lot of the people who hate it are being snobs about it. Yeah, I, I hate it because I hate putting anything in the too hard pile. I just want to keep working and working and working and get there. But in general, if you can't, fit, if you're just torn like that, it's better to just pass and find something a little mm-hmm. simpler. Uh, we'll talk about that with Valiant and Bill Ackman later this week. Yep. But until we get there, why don't we talk about another pharma deal? Allergan's got a long history with Valiant, actually. Pfizer Allergan, what do you think? Speaking of something simpler, mm-hmm. uh, Pfizer, a 159-year-old company, uh, it was under a lot of stress during the financial crisis. It couldn't really keep its dividend up. Uh, <laughs> Pfizer makes Viagra, which is why Chris chose to choose keep it up. It was, Very it was clever. Older and under a lot of stress, and so like, it, like don't judge it, um, but it's it's dividend kind of you know. Uh, but fell uh, flat. Yeah, uh, and uh, since then though. Um, it's recovered, and it has a yield of almost 4%, uh, a yield that you can get at a much better rate by buying Allergan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allergan is in a deal with Pfizer, uh, and it has a huge merger arbitrage spread. It's a big company with a big spread. Uh, the last I checked, middle of the afternoon, and somebody is going to critique this down to the penny yep. um, for everybody else. It's more or less $36.66, 37-ish. Um, and if it really makes a difference to your decision-making, say, you know, close. Um, but it's a large spread, larger than warranted by the deal risk. Uh, for everybody who owns Allergan, if the deal closes, you get 11.3 shares of Pfizer. Based on today's market price, that creates Pfizer at just over $25 per share, $25.35 as of the last time I checked in mid-afternoon, uh, for an even more generous yield of almost 5%. So let me back up a little bit, Chris. So Allergan and Pfizer are in a big deal, one mm-hmm. of the biggest deals ever. Yep. Uh, Pfizer shares currently trade for $285 per share, yep. roughly. Pfizer trades for just under 30 And if the deal closes, when the deal closes, uh, you will get 11.3 Pfizer shares for every Allergan share you have. So that would be worth about $330. So that's the spread you're talking mm-hmm. about there. Uh, so if the deal closes, it's a, a little bit over 15% annualized return if it closes by year, 16. year end. 16%, I think that's about right. So that's kind of the arbitrage opportunity. This is It's a big arbitrage opportunity. 16% annualized in what is, it's not risk-free, but lower risk. Getting this more than equity type return is rare. So let's talk about why did these two companies decide to come together? 
there are a number of reasons I think that Pfizer can save on a lot of costs. Yep, they, also, two billion in cost savings is what they're projecting. Yeah, and I think it could be that or more. Uh, and they could save on taxes. They need to be careful how they present this, but they are currently paying the highest corporate income tax rate in the entire industrialized developed world mm-hmm. at about 39% and everybody pays less than that. So you're just you're referring to the, the US tax rate, the US corporate tax rate of 39%. Yes. Yep. So uh, Pfizer all in, they get some benefits from R&D. Uh, Pfizer all in pays about 25% tax rate. Uh, you know, they have overseas mm-hmm. earnings R&D tax breaks. But uh, with the, with this merger, they will be paying an all-in tax rate of about 17%. So if you think about that, that's an immediate 8%, 10% boost to earnings just from this merger on the Pfizer side, plus the synergies, huge value yes. creation. And if you're standing there waving an American flag with a bald eagle on both shoulders, <laughs> you might know that they can pay for more jobs, more R&D, and create more life-saving drugs if they invert and have more money to reinvest mm-hmm. in the United States. I mean, this is... Something that is going to be very efficient for Pfizer. A hundred percent agree. So, but the efficiency and the inversion that will get, take them to the lower tax rate is also the reason for the next question. Is also one of the things for the next question. Why is this spread so large? There's a good reason and a bad or an efficient reason. Mm-hmm. The good reason is first and foremost the inversion political risk. There is a risk that through uh, legislative or extra legislative means, this type of deal will be uh, banned or uh, uh, will run into difficulty in the next few months. Uh, On the legislative front, uh, there are people in both the Senate and the House who are pushing legislation that would make this deal difficult. An inversion deal where a foreign company buys an American company and lowers their tax rate. Yep. And uh, and my view is that won't happen. To give you the very short version of why that won't happen, I looked at all of the betting markets on legislation, period. And the entire range goes from 4 to 17% on whether any legislation so, is going to get <laughs> This isn't even like necessarily controversial <laughs> no, legislation, no. which tax, tax reform is. This yes. is just anything. Yes. And, and if you are in favor of Arbor Day, it's about 17% <laughs> that it'll get done this year. I believe that this deal is substantially beneath the 4% range. It's yeah. not even asked about. And then extra legislatively, there are people who are just against cross-border deals. Uh, there are people, the the key uh, the key. Uh, intellectual person I would say at Harvard is Stephen Shea, the key person in the administration, the Treasury Secretary, Jack Lou. But I think that they are at the end of the rope in terms of stopping deals like this. Uh, if you look at the people who are against inversion, they said they've pretty much done what they could at this point. So I think that the inversion legislation is dead for the year. Just some background. Shire Abbey, which we've mentioned on this podcast before, was a big inversion in 2014 that yep. blew up. And in that case, Jack was Jack Lee Treasury Secretary? He, was. He, put, he put some new rules in place that basically banned that type of inversion. But this inversion is much better structured, yes. that it will get around all those bans. And he's come out and said, I don't have another bullet to stop this. In fact, it's not actually an inversion for reasons that I won't get into because of our first 15-minute yeah. limit. <laughs> but it actually structured in a way that is technically correct even under all of yep. the laws and regulation. Um, Pfizer shareholders will not own as much as 60% of Allergan's yep. outstanding stock. And for other boring reasons, it is okay. Perfect. Yeah, so it seems like it's a deal that's likely to go through. It looks like the markets are under are under undervaluing the chances it goes through. Oh, yeah. Interesting spread, very interesting deal. I'll also mention very quickly, uh, Allergan, I kind of did the work. It looks 
under to fairly valued to me on a standalone basis yeah. right now. If you look at where it was trading uh, before the deal was announced, it's kind of right there right now. Mm-hmm. So even if the deal breaks, I'm not sure how much downside there would be. Uh, so let's go to Vivint, Sun Edison, Turp. But sure. before we go there, I'm going to take host duties back from you and just mention uh, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get it. And if you already follow us, please be sure to rate us. It means a lot to us. And Chris, did you know we only have 38 ratings on iTunes? I know we have many more listeners than that. And I feel like we're a big fan of incentives. I feel like we should kind of provide an incentive. Like if we hit 50 ratings by the end of this week, we'll give it a bonus podcast next week or something. Do you, do you think that's right? Or what do you think? First of all, you've all just witnessed a hostile takeover. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a reverse break fee later. I think we, we struggle as a business model because we attract freeloaders. Yep. Uh, so we, we, we revel in freeloading. So this is, uh, this is what we get. <laughs> this is the only thing I know that you let people freeload on, so it's rare. So let's go to uh, Vivint Sun Edison Turp. Mentioned this on the podcast last week. This morning, uh, Vivint came out and terminated the merger with Sun Edison, mm-hmm. and they said uh, Sun Edison failed to meet their obligations to close. They're going to seek legal remedies in respect to a willful breach. That's pretty powerful language. Yep. Uh, and I'll just go through the market reaction re- real quick. Initially, the market really re- really liked this for Sun Edison Turp. Sun Edison was up 40% to start the day. Turp was up 20%. By the end of the day, the market was a little more cool. Sun Edison was up about 10%, maybe a little less. Turp was up 5% or less. Market hated it for Vivint. They were down almost 20%. What do you think about those reactions? I, I enjoy working with you. And if we compound at a 5% daily return over the <laughs> next uh, actuarially, I've been looking at your tables, you know, so call it conservatively 70 years. I think we'll end up pretty rich at the end of that. <laughs> um, so from a TURP perspective, which is by far our largest exposure, good. Uh, from uh, a Vivint, which from, we have a little exposure to, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, you know, we bygones, uh, and uh, so uh, so it's an interesting one. I think that m- most strong reactions are overreactions. Uh, capital markets react much more strongly than the physical actuarial world is worth, um, and so you know, mean reversion is usual. Um, and I think that there's a strong case from the Vivint perspective that there is value that could head in their direction. But that's a brainer. The no-brainer is it's very good for Terp to get out of yep. the deal they were in. So that's the easy call so, to make. So just, as far as Sun Edison, I don't know. So just to give uh, a little bit of details on the merger agreement, the merger agreement was between Sun Edison and Vivint. Mm-hmm. And then separately, Sun Edison and Terp had yeah. a deal a deal that was contingent on the Vivint deal closing that Terp would buy assets from Sun Edison. So Sun Edison breaks, Sun Edison Vivint breaks, wonderful for Turp. Mm-hmm. They should have basically no exposure to mm-hmm. Vivint. I'm really surprised that Sun Edison was up on this deal because, as we mentioned, very tight merger agreement. Mm-hmm. Turp or Vivint is going to be seeking a lot of damages, yeah. and uh, if you think of the amount of damages, Sun Edison is a financially distressed company. I wonder what they could pay, but. It's also interesting in terms of a legal strategy. If you're a financially distressed company that's facing a big lawsuit, you are incentivized not to settle. Just take it to the end, bet on the calm, hope either the uh, you win the lawsuit or if you lose it, you're either done at that point or your business has turned around to the point where it was like an interest-free loan for three or four years. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Vivint handles it if Sun Edison is willing to uh, – negotiate it all or if they just want to take it all the way through and hope that they don't have to pay anything because 
it seemed to me that they owe a lot of money potentially to Vivint, and I think Vivint's going to have a great case as they seek this willful breach. I agree. I also would say that it's important that always and everywhere you stand up for your rights. And if Vivint thought they had a right circa late February, February 26th, you have to immediately defend it. Exactly. If you don't defend your rights, there is a new legal precedent that says, oh, you were okay with what happened. You you didn't think there was a problem, and that creates a new problem for somebody. Uh, and so I think that this was a sound tactic on Vivint's part. I think... Sundison has less maneuvering room. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. It's going to be fascinating. It's a wonderful situation. We can we said it on the last podcast. We can say it again here. Anyone who tells you definitively they knows what's going to happen is the only person who probably knows nothing about this situation. Anyway, anything else to say on this? I have nothing, Todd. Great. Well, Chris, it was... Well, you signed us off. I took over your hosting duties for a second. Why don't you sign us off? So this is a restoration. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. Uh, please follow us on SoundCloud or iTunes or something else that Andrew might know. <laughs> Stitcher. Or Stitcher. There we go. Um, and uh, thank you very much for anybody who rated us. And we'll see you next time. 50 ratings. We'll do an extra podcast next week. Talk to you then.